you do, but all right. Good evening and welcome to a brand new edition of Fundamentals, an OKC UK podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Snowden, the founder of OKC UK. And joining me this week, as always, I have my wonderful original co-host back, and that's Mr. Brandon Dale. Brandon, how are you, sir? Hello. Uh, Man, I'm doing good. Just trying to enjoy myself, staying busy, uh, enjoying Thunder basketball. Trying to think what else. Mm, Yeah, that's about it. I can't complain. How are you? I'm even better now, like. Brandon didn't even look at the camera once then, but if he did, that would have been great because me and Janal, Janal's joining me this week again as well, are absolutely wetting ourselves at the way Brandon just went, hello. hello. <laughs> sounded, like, sounded like if anybody's listening from the UK, sounded like the Chuckle Brothers. I'm super oh, nasally, yeah. so I, <laughs> yeah, I sound really goofy. It's all, hey, what's going on? Yeah, I sound like Kermit the Frog. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Hello, yeah. Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> and that yeah so uh, we got brandon back this week and then obviously we have mr reliable mr janelle taylor how are you this week janelle honestly pretty good i feel happy with how the team's on has played over the last couple of weeks like the thunder have lost games but they've played pretty competitively and given that you know the team's been pretty injury ravaged they've been putting in good performances and yeah like i've been quite happy with how things have gone yeah, I, I, I feel like the fan base isn't in too bad a mood at the minute compared to when we last recorded about three weeks ago. Like We, we were talking just before we started recording and uh, someone has said that we'd won one game in January, which I've found amazing. And that was obviously against Brooklyn. Brandon said that. But considering how we played, I don't think that kind of repels the way we played. Like. We're, a lot of our team are on really good stretches at the minute in terms of their performances and that's that's good it's exactly what we wanted to see which we will get on to but the performances have probably been the best in terms of consistency as well probably been the best they have been throughout this season as well as a sign as if a a team is starting to gel which is especially what I want to see um, so we'll start with you Brandon how have you found as as a guy in Oklahoma, how have you found the last couple of weeks or so? How's the mood amongst the fans? It seems more sorry, my camera messed up. It seems more optimistic than maybe earlier in the week, but what or earlier in you know the month or even the month of January, just like you were saying, the stretch of the stretch of losing and um you know, that can get old even if the goal is to tank, but it depends on who you're talking to because like I'll turn on the radio and you'll hear our local guys. They'll be like, Oh my gosh, that was a terrible win last night. And for me, I'm all for winning. I think that, you know, we'll see where we're at at the end of the season in terms of the picks and stuff, but just, you know, staying competitive is the main thing for me. And so I think that they have been able to do that. I think that the fan base is generally, you know, super excited in terms of what Baisley's been doing. Giddy, of course. You know, it's been it's been positive. It hasn't been as negative. Like this time last year, I feel like it was a little more. Uh, I don't want to say negative, but it just wasn't. You know, people weren't super excited. I guess also because we didn't really know what the plan was moving forward. Now we're kind of getting a clearer picture of 
what this team's trying to do. But me personally, I've been super excited. I think that last game in the garden was brilliant. It was, that was great basketball. So all good on this end. Yeah, it was very good that game against the Knicks. It was probably one of my most enjoyable games watching it back in the morning because I haven't watched a game live for a while now, which upsets me deeply. But it has been exciting. I, I generally haven't seen as much negativity on Twitter compared to what I used to earlier in the season, which is also hugely positive. Um, Janelle, the latest stretch of games, how have you found it? Have you seen any sort of negativities at all? But I've seen a little bit of negativity around sort of Lou Dort and his shot selection. Uh, that's kind of tailed away over the last couple of weeks where he's put over the last week or so where he's put in a couple of really strong performances. And then there's been a little bit of bitching and moaning about, oh, where's Shea fit in, you know, with this current team? Because the Thunder are playing pretty well right now. Uh, but personally, I think everybody's on a good run of form. Like, even like your usual maligned targets, let's say, like, Baisley, Baisley's playing well. Poku somehow come out of nowhere is playing well. Maladon's, yeah, he's doing pretty good. Like, so when you've got these players, all everybody seems to be in a good rhythm right now, despite the fact maybe Thunder are winning as many games as the they're playing well, but the record doesn't necessarily indicate that. I think you just have to be happy with how the team have played. Like, there have been moments where the games have gotten away from Thunder, but they're a young team at the end of the day with that are lacking it as well. Uh, uh, offensive talent like I don't think you can really be too annoyed when you consider the context yeah I completely agree with you I can't remember last time I was just annoyed apart from maybe Ty Jerome's offensive violation the other night that was that was super annoying no that was funny that made me like oh it was funny but it was damn annoying as well (laughs) but um, no it's it's, it's been good and like as, as you said the the, the players are on a really good stretch at the minute and it's been really entertaining to watch and one of the reasons I enjoyed last season and the season before is because we had quite a few young players on the team. I like watching these youngsters develop and I feel like at the, at the minute these players are developing very quickly, which again, obviously being in a rebuild is exactly what you want to see because the quicker they develop, the quicker we get out of a rebuild. So we've got a few points I want to touch on about the last couple of games and obviously we'll start off talking about everybody's least favourite guy on the team but that might have changed in the last 10 to 15 games and obviously we are going to talk about Darius Baisley my favourite thing to talk about but oh my god what a turnaround we've seen from that guy because we praised him probably a month month and a half ago he was on a good stretch then and then went into a dire patch went into a, a semi-good patch of a couple of games went into a bad patch again and then the last 10 to 15 games, consistently, he's put up outstanding numbers. His defense is up there again, and he's been a lot more effective offensively. Obviously, myself being the stan I am of him, I know exactly what he's capable of. And I feel like we're starting to see glimpses of what he is capable of. I feel like he can still do more. There's always room for every player to do more. And I'm not taking that away from Baze, but I do think he's been just a little bit shy of exceptional the last stretch of games I don't think he's done a lot wrong and he's certainly a guy that's similar to a couple of other players on the roster where he's a confidence player and he's certainly riding a lot of confidence so Janelle I'm going to start off with you while we talk about Bayes because I know obviously you have said numerous times you you know he has the talent but the consistency is what worries you 
obviously, I know you said you want him to do it in a stretch of 30 games. I know this is probably the biggest stretch we have seen of him, but how happy, or from what, from what stamp, what, where, where are you standing with Bayes at the minute? How happy are you about him? How much more do you want to see? Is there any part of his game that you still think needs work in terms of this stretch? Well, I think personally, like, so I've always liked his defence. His defence has always been there for him. His ability to get blocks, steals, without committing a ton of fouls. And he plays great pressure defence. That's always been there for him. But for me, it's just been his patience in the last couple of games, particularly on the offensive end of the floor, right? Because in the past, we would see Baisley drive to the rim, stutter, stop, stutter, stop, about a million times. And then he would get to the rim, run out of any sort of momentum, and then chuck up a really loose, like, righty or lefty hook shot. And it's just too easy for the defence to block. We're seeing him be a lot more patient, a lot more methodical with his footwork. He's working his way in. He's committing defenders, getting them out of the way. And then he's opening up pretty good finishes for himself, easy ones. Without much contact, he's just able to focus on laying the ball in. So I'm quite happy with what we've seen there. I think that's relatively a tangible improvement from what we've seen from Baisley. I think that his role has been pretty solid. I do have my concerns about how he's going to do with less usage when Shea and Dort eventually start playing back and you know start coming back into the rotation again and then they end up paying 34, 35 minutes a night. I am concerned that when that happens, he will start to revert back to his old tendencies and just whenever he gets the ball, he'll chuck up a shot because he worries about when he'll next get it. So overall, I feel pretty happy with how he's playing, but I just need to see. I think for me personally, I need to see how he plays alongside Shea, Dort, Giddy, even put Man in there. If he can play well, prove that consistently, he takes sufficient shots, plays within his role, he does what the team needs him to do, I feel very happy about it and we'll be willing to give him the extension. But until that happens, I'm still a bit on the fence about him. That's fair enough. Each to their own uh, opinions, and you you made you make some good points as well. Obviously, we we've discussed numerous times that he is the second best defender on the team. I don't think you can argue against that. You might have a case, but I don't think you can. Um, his offensive stretch and his awareness and his his IQ shooting IQ has been a lot better in this stretch of game. So I do hope it does continue. Um, Brandon, where where do you stand on Bayes? Obviously. I feel like since we've started the podcast, Baisley is someone that you love one week and dislike the next week. So where, where are you with him at the minute and how do you like this stretch? For me, it was always consistency. And so I think as of late, it's been Baisley has been the model of consistency. And when I think about injuries and what's funny about this team is, you know, when we put them all together, when you have Shea, Dort, Bays, Giddy out there. It always seems like one guy tends to either lose their momentum or they tend to have some off nights. Maybe they are inconsistent, lack, you know, lackluster defense, all that stuff. I think Baisley's benefited from the absence of Dort and Shea, which is apparent by what we've seen. But then I also, as much as I love what he's doing, can he do that when our roster is fully healthy? I think the difference, what we talked about a few weeks ago, was he was coming off the bench. It's kind of more of a spark plug for, you know, the second unit. And now it's more of he's not making 
rash decisions. He's kind of playing his game in a smarter way, whereas before it seemed like he was a little bit rushed, uh, a little bit sporadic, almost kind of like what Russell Westbrook did when he was younger on this Thunder team. It was kind of all over the place. Now he's kind of figuring out, you know, where his spots are at. Even the other night in that game against New York, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he was the one that gave us the, the, I think we tied with his last, I think it was the last second shot. So, I mean, stuff like that is, you know, I can't be critical about that. That's exactly what I want to see from Baisley. My biggest problem with him was the inconsistency of showing up for one game and then the next game, he's just, you know, not there. Now it seems like he's kind of putting that together a little bit more. I'm hesitant because of the way that he's doing it. And what I mean by that is he's doing it with two of the top guys on our team sidelined. So I would love to see him put this all together with Dort and Shea. But yeah, I have nothing bad to say about him. And, and you're right. I'm kind of hot and cold on him each week. I've also, I, I hope we get to talk about Poku this episode because that that's something I'm way more surprised about than anything else. Yeah, we were we were uh, scheduled to talk about Poku in the in the next segment, but good deal. But yeah, with with Bayes, I do, I do feel like he's potentially feeling a bit of pressure at the minute from probably himself and maybe a little bit from the coaching team slash organization. He, I'm sure he's probably mature enough now to know that he's fighting for a future now in terms of a starting spot. That bench spot's there for him. He's shown he can boss that. He only had like two or three bad games when he had that spell off the bench. Apart from that, most of those games off the bench were fire. But it, I, th- I think he knows he's under a bit of pressure and pressure like that is sometimes a good thing. So maybe that's why we're seeing a good stretch from him at the minute. But there was there was a couple of good stats that I put in our, uh, our contributor group yesterday which i just wanted to quickly shout out so from funder moneyball on twitter he's a good account give him a follow he tweeted the stats of basie in the last 10 games 15.1 points 8.1 rebounds 1.9 assists 1.3 steals one block and then he averages 44 and a half shooting of 12 attempts 42.5 from three or four attempts and 71.8 from the line on four attempts that ideally is obviously what we're going to want going forward. If he can have that average nightly, then we've got obviously a starting four right there. And then you also go with Bayes. He ranked 17th in the NBA in block rate, 19th in blocks per game, and fourth in three-pointers contested per game, which I think is absolutely unreal and credits his defence. And amazingly, among players who average at least 25 minutes per game, he ranks 179th, which is dead last in fouls per game. And that's from Hooper Bowl on Twitter. Janelle, you're the stat guy. You understand all of that a lot more than a lot of people. What, what do you make of those sort of stats? And am I right to say, like, if he carries on producing that, then that's our starting four right there? I think a lot of that goes into sort of Baisley's tendencies and how he likes to play defense. I wouldn't necessarily like. If you look at someone, let's say, like Lugens Dort, he's a very aggressive defender. He'll attack every single play, wants to really try to uh, disrupt the possession and by disrupting possession, create opportunities in transition. 
Basically, Salah defense is very much let's try to contain my assignment. Let's make life difficult for him. Get length, get speed. Just stay in front of him. Put a wall between myself, between him and the rim. And if he scores, so what? That's what Basie does incredibly well, and he's very good and very disciplined in terms of not reaching in. He doesn't fall into that habit of when he sees somebody going past him, he feels like he has to stick an arm out and grab him. Partly because it doesn't really happen all that much with Darius. He's very good at staying, you know, keeping his hip next to the other guy's hip and not allowing that separation to actually occur. I personally think that if you can bring that level of defense to the starting lineup, that's fantastic. Really, really, really good. And I think his finishing around the rim has kind of started to work itself out. I know with Hamadou Diallo, we had a similar sort of thing where he would constantly get to the rim, but then he would be just thinking too quickly or not taking the time. And, you know, he would just keep blowing layups. And eventually it clicked for him. But basically, he needs that to happen. I think his defense is perfectly fine, like really, really good. I don't think at the four position there's anybody who's as good as him as good as him defensively on the Thunder. I mean, you could perhaps make an argument for Wiggins being a good perimeter defender. But wait, but Baisley can do perimeter. He tracks guys on the drive really, really well, detaches from one guy, rotates onto the next guy. And he is actually pretty solid in the interior. I remember in his rookie season, I think he was the best interior defender on the Thunder by some margin in terms of the numbers and what they actually portrayed. So if you can keep the score if his offensive game can match what he does on the defensive end of the floor he can start for me I don't care I will be happy with that it's just it's just that does his value end up being a positive or is he just neutral or even a net negative for a thunder that's my question I think that's a good question to ask as well um I've, I've, what we'll do now is we'll move on talking about Bayes because I, I, I can spend a whole podcast talking about Bayes and arguing how he's a future superstar um, without you two laughing at me as well. But we will move on and talk about what Brandon exactly wants to talk about, which is uh, Alexei Pokashevsky, who came back from the G League, didn't really show much those first couple of games. Granted, wasn't given huge minutes, but those minutes he did get wasn't really doing a lot. And then the past week or so, bang, Poku's arrived. We've seen this last year with Poku, though. Went down to the G League, came back from the G League, two to four weeks, solid, and then went extremely cold, back to the Poku that most fans are aware of. But go on, Brandon, you, you wanted to talk about Poku. I'm, I'm guessing you've obviously been impressed with the last week. I know a lot of people have. I've always been a big fan of Poku's defence, I think, yeah, he, he gets a bit of foul trouble, but his defensive work is certainly, I think, a, a bit underrated, to be fair, thinking about it. But his offensive stretch and his awareness and IQ on court really do worry me. For someone who did want him pre-draft, was buzzing that we got him. So I'm I'm, I'm still wanting Poku to do well. Um, but where where are you with Poku, Brandon? What, what did you want to talk about? Mostly kind of what you touched on the fact that he did this last season. I don't know if that is a good thing or if that is pause for concern, because all that means to me is if Poku gets playing time, he's going to be more confident. He's going to go have games like he did in Philly. Um, I can't recall the minutes he had in the New York game. Nonetheless, they're still playing him more than, you know, even a month or two ago. And he just looks so much more confident. 
a little more comfortable. His shot doesn't really necessarily look like uh, I, I remember commenting, you know, maybe even a couple months ago watching him at Paycom. It looks like he threw it. His shot looked like it was thrown on a rope, like a straight line drive. It had no arc to it. It was very flat. He looks like he's got a little bit more underneath in terms of his shot, his shot selection, even cutting to the basket, driving to the basket is looking better. So the only problem with that is is he can't get consistent minutes with this current group. So when you send him down to the G league, yeah, it's great. But is that just going to be, are we going to be doing that for, you know, another year to how long do we exercise all the options for the Alexei Pokashevsky project? But that being said, I'm still excited because I think his biggest thing was confidence and he at least is going out there and he's doing everything in a confident manner. Whereas before he looked lost, he looked so confused and it was almost laughable. Anytime he'd get on the court, he'd almost stay in the corner, kind of just sit there where Carmelo Anthony used to kind of hang out and except Carmelo would hit threes. Poku just would kind of hang out in the corner and, you know, not really do anything. Now he's a little bit more engaged, which, I think if we can have that version of Poku, that would just be another dynamic for this squad that is hard to scout for. And that's kind of what I've noticed. When he gets into the game, not a lot of teams, they're like, they're not going to be like, oh, we've seen tape on this guy. We know how to, you know, nobody really knows what to do with that. He's he's kind of an enigma just in terms of, you know, his length, his size, his handles even his ability to pass and his defense is, is seems to be getting better. So I think these are all like positive steps moving in the right direction. I just wonder how you do that consistently. If you want to eventually get him in, you know, the mix with, you know, guys like, I don't want to say Trey man, because he's been with the starting unit a little bit more, but, you know, out there on the floor with Jerome and um, Kenny hustle and, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to say anything about Malinon because that I don't know if we have him on the on the dock today, but um, yeah, just guys like that, I would ex- be excited to see him kind of flourish in that role because he's definitely not going to be a starter anytime soon. But I'm happy with it. I'm happy for him. He's still super young, though. We also have to remember he's still a baby, so got to give it time. Yeah, that, that was exactly the point I was about to make then, especially about his age. Um... His shot is still something that really worries uh, worries me. Uh, you you spoke about it then. It's not exactly a high shot. It's quite a level shot. But then you look at players like Ray Allen, who absolutely strived on having a fairly low shot. But, but the thing with poker that worried me is he, when he went down to G League last year, he, he he dominated down there. And then when he went down this year, Maladon dominated, and Poku kind of we didn't really hear much from Poku out of the G League. So I know like a lot of people like. I wouldn't say slam Bayes, uh, but they want consistency from Bayes. Like, Poku is that player for me. I saw something else on Twitter yesterday saying that um, it was each team's most frustrating player, and apparently Poku is ours. I don't know where they get these stats from. It's like they just make them up or something, but it might well be Poku, but Poku is my most frustrating player just for the consistency and stuff because I saw what he can do in Europe before he came over to the NBA and 
I don't feel we've seen that same Poku, but then again, we we make the case of yes, he is still extremely young. Um, obviously, he is Mister Confidence player on the team as well. Like, give give him confidence. He has a great game. If he lacks the slightest bit of confidence, it just goes against him. Um, I remember obviously Janelle saying a couple of weeks ago how when I said that he always looks to the bench and looks to the coaches and Janelle was obviously saying that's a very European thing to do as well. But it's good it's good to see a good little stretch from Poku, but I, I'm similar to what you guys say about Bayes. I, I, I want to see a lot more and I need to see a lot more. Uh, Janelle, where are you on Poku? Where have you found this stretch of games from? I feel happy with what I've seen from Pokerczewski. I think, as you said in the past, going down to the G League brings him confidence. And I partly think that's some of it's to do with his own makeup as a player. Because if you watch him after he's made, just watch his body language after he's made an error, he's turned the ball over. You can see him just very muttering to himself constantly. You know, he's like he's chastising himself. And that seems to get in his own head at times. I think going down to Geely, where it's an environment where there's less pressure on him and where he can sort of work through their sort of mistakes in his game without people, you know, clipping it on Twitter or saying that, uh, you know, like making fun of him, he has an ability to grow in that environment. And to me, with the Poku project, I've always thought that we won't necessarily realise those games until three or four years into his career. It sounds really strange to say because you just think, three or four years, you've got to show us something. But with a guy like him, it was always going to take that time to develop his body, to develop his competency. Because the dude had the skill set. He has the passing, he has the shooting, I would say. I think, I feel his shot's low, but I feel relatively comfortable in it. I think it's pretty solid. And his defensive intelligence, I mean, he's one of the, he's a smart defender. He's just not particularly strong right now, or not particularly fast, but he knows where to be. His positioning has generally been very good. It's just that with him, it's just a case of allowing him to work through those mistakes and giving him the time to really develop. And I think the Thunder will. I think him getting minutes in the rotation right now is pretty difficult. I think the Thunder have to maybe perhaps try to work on changing his mental makeup a little bit. You know, making him feel okay that if he's not playing, there's a reason for it. It's not because we don't think he's good enough. It's just that simply that there's not enough minutes to go around. And if he, needs to, if he wants the minutes, he has to earn his way into it. Uh, I think for Pokerzewski, what we've seen over the last week or so, we've seen exactly what he can do. And we've seen that he's very difficult to guard when he gets going. Like, his handle is so smooth, so tight. Like, it's incredible how he has a, can just hold the ball. Yes, he makes mistakes. But those leave when he's getting a bit too overambitious, when he's been a bit overeager. But he just is able to glide past defences. And then when his shot is on, he's just able to drain them from deep. And that just creates more space for him to drive and attack the rim. And he finds his weird passing angles. Like, as players go, he's still very, very exciting. He's inconsistent, of course. But then, like, all young players are inconsistent. It takes time for them to work it out. With someone like Baisley, I think we had different expectations because he had that great first season. Baisley's first season was absolutely fantastic. And that raised our expectations a bit, big time. Because we saw him, what he did, and we thought, well, why can't he replicate this again? Whereas with Poku, where our expectations are relatively set, we know he's a young guy who's working through stuff. I think you give him the time to do so, he'll come up trumps. I do genuinely believe that he will be a good player for the Thunder to have down the line. 
Yeah, I, I, I do still get that vibe off a lot of the fan base. I know Brandon loves a bit of poker as well, so it's it's good to see the fan base are obviously still one. I mean, they kind of understand the project with poker, which is exactly as Janelle said, it is a project. It's not something that's going to happen. We discussed it last podcast or the podcast before. Like you look at Yanis Antetokounmpo, so like, how long did it take for him to become a superstar? Nikola Jokic, another one. And both these guys put a load of muscle on and became obviously league MVPs. So I'm not saying poker is going to get that far, but you just you just need a team to do what they done with Giannis and Jokic and giving him time to develop. And I, I, I feel like Sam Presti will do that. There's, there's not exactly any pressure on Poku yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure he just needs to have a proper sit-down conversation. I'm sure he probably has done, but a sit-down conversation with the with the team and the coaches and be like, look, this is where you're at with us. There's no pressure on you. And I'm, I'm sure that will probably do him the world of good. And that's probably where these stretches come from. See, but, Poku, just my last, like, the mould of player I think he could be, I don't know, like, you remember Andre Kirilenko, like, back in the day, handsy, wing, block shots, gets lots of steals, was a fantastic defensive player. I think that Poku could have that same sort of impact on the end of because if you look at his instincts, and you look at what he already does, his ability to get his hand on the ball, his timing, his reach, and also his willingness not just to stick a hand in there and just do stupid stuff. Like, I think he can have that sort of impact as a defensive player. He really, on the offensive end, all he needs to do is be able to shoot threes, dribble the ball. And if his playmaking comes around, great. That's fine. But we just needed to play solid defense, be able to knock down shots, be a reliable offensive option. That's all we need. Just two things out of him on offense. He plays great defense. I'll be happy from him. That's all I want from him, really. I don't need anything else. If playmaking comes around, I'll be happy. But it's just that's like a luxury more than a necessity. Yeah, I I agree, but obviously, as we keep saying, it's and as you said yourself, it's a project. You've got got to give the guy time, and I, I I think everyone's with that at the minute, which is what you want to see. You want to see that the the fans are on board with the rebuild, etc. So we'll we'll move on from poker and talk about the point guard battle for minutes because it's 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 really starting to grind my gears now, and that's obviously between Theo Maladon and Ty Jerome. It's it's really, really getting to me. Like, Tia went down to the G League to give him probably some match fitness, uh, give him some minutes and playing time. Absolutely killed it. Comes back to the Funders. And I think he's had like two games where he's had good minutes and played well in both. Pretty sure he had like an 18 point out in the other night as well, which for someone coming off the bench is exactly what you want. And Ty Jerome's been slightly frustrating for me recently. I don't think he's been as effective as what he he is and what he can be, but I don't know whether that's just me being a bit harsh because I'm so uptight on wanting Tio to get minutes. Obviously, I'm super high on Tio. I don't really understand the team's position on Tio at the minute. Oh, again, yes, he's young, but I it, it's just frustrating me slightly that we're not getting what I think he deserves. And I don't think... Ty Jerome exactly deserves it at the minute based on his performances nothing against Ty I completely like the guy I like his game but I, I do just think that Maladon deserves the minutes more than him at the minute Janelle where are you at? 
it's one of those things I would say because for Coach Mark Dagnall, like despite the fact a Thunder are tanking, he's pursued an aim of being competitive every single night. And I think with Ty Jerome, his performance levels are more steady. And the shooting that he brings, certainly, if he's knocking down three or four shots uh, shots from deep game, from, from deep per game, then I think that's very valuable for Thunder in terms of spacing. And he's also a relatively decent playmaker as well. Like He's not flashy, but he knows how to make simple read at the right time, and that can be quite valuable. I do think that his shot selection has been a bit off. Like he's taking a couple too many really, really deep ones for me. I know he can make them. That's great. I know you can make them, but it's just like I do need a little bit more consistency from you. And yeah, he's also ha- kind of developed this weird habit of like driving to the, you know, driving into the paint. But he knows he won't do particularly well with rim, so he's pulling up for a contested mid-range jumper. Which, okay, I understand it. It kind of makes sense, but we can get a better shot on that possession. But I thought with Maladon from hit the other standpoint is that he's the Thunder's young project in terms of the point guard. He has a high ceiling, sure. But if you play him now, then that sort of sem- maybe the Thunder's nightly competitiveness is affected slightly. I love Tato. I think he's fantastic. But he's got to earn his way into the rotation. He's got to make it undeniable for Coach Mark Dagnall to give him that spot. I don't want it handed to him. I want to see him earn it. And once he earns that position, then yes. What what more can he do? He goes down to the G League, dominates. He gets five, six minutes a game without the ball in his hands as well. How's he supposed to earn that? Just to me, for me, I just need to see like with Maladon again, like I think he's had a couple of really great games. But then there's been a couple of games where he's not necessarily been as efficient as as a scorer. Now you might be able to make the argument that if he has more minutes, he gets into the rhythm of the game. And you know, he starts shot starts to flow a bit more naturally. But I always kind of think that he's got to, you've got to make an impact in those minutes. It's like, I always go back to the example that, you know, if you're like a player who's joining on a debut for a football team, right? You've got to make an impact from the start. You know, set the top. And if Malandon can do that instead of doing this whole fearless way in thing that he usually does, I think Coach Dagnall will find it very difficult not to give him minutes. I also kind of think with Dags, he has his favourites, like every coach. Baisley's one of his favourites, and so is Ty Jerome, because Ty Jerome last season had a great year, and I think he's just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt right now to see if he can pull himself out of that rut. Whether how long that continues, I don't know. Brandon, where, where are you on this whole Ty T.O. debate? Yeesh. You guys are high on Maladon. I thought, look, get him off the team. I'm tired of him. I know. Look at your face. I wish my camera worked so you could see. Listen, Brandon. Come on, come on, Brandon. You guys ever? You guys ever leave? You guys ever leave a game and go? Oh my goodness! You know what really sticks out to me? That tail Maladon. He was just fucking fantastic. Does that ever happen to you? But he doesn't get minutes. A few times, yeah. His first game that he played in the NBA, I did have that feeling when. Yeah, same here. When was that? That was like fourteen months ago. He's had a couple of moments since then. I mean, like, oh, God, I what? Okay, look, he might be suited. Where where does he fit on this roster, though? That's the problem. Because like, what you're what we have going on right now is you have a situation where you got Ty Jerome and Maladon, and they're you know they're sitting here jockeying for minutes or whatever. But I mean, yes, I'll take Maladon's defense. It's almost like if I could mesh the two together. 
to make one player, I'd be like, all right, let's go. But I don't know. I don't know what I want to take in terms of, do I want the defensive presence of Maladon out there versus maybe having Ty Jerome able to hit some shots. Now I'm kind of with Tom. I don't think Jerome's been, he's also kind of been non-existent, but Maladon that's, I mean, what does that say about him? If he's going down to the G league balling out, coming back up here. And I mean, I guess to Tom's point, he isn't getting minutes, but I'm pretty sure he got extensive playing time the other night. Um, was that against Philly? He was in there for a good bit. Got 18 points. So, and how many minutes was that? I think he played eight, like 18, 19. Okay, so that's some good production. That's actually something to write home about. But he just, he doesn't see, I, I don't know what it is, dude. I don't know if it's maybe, maybe when you're coming over from another country, it's a little bit, you're kind of, also, you're learning two things instead of one in terms of being a pro, you know, a pro athlete in the NBA, also culture stuff. Um, I don't know if it's that so much. He's been here for a while, but I just don't know. I get so confused on his fit with the team. And maybe that's because we're so backed up with guards. Like our guard play blows my mind sometimes because it's like, we literally have like four or five options on a given night of what we want to do. Um, in the backcourt but I know I said get him off the team that was probably me just trying to be kind of stupid and psychotic but seriously he needs to find he needs to we need to find this dude a legit role right now he doesn't have one if he's going down to the G League and scoring 30 points he definitely should be able to do something on our squad but where is that and for whose minutes or do you just cut Ty Jerome me, me personally, I, I, I did want Ty to be traded before the okay. deadline. Um, I do see Tia Maladon as a backup point guard, caliber six man, caliber maybe not quite six man, but backup point guard. I still see him as a ceiling as high as Ricky Rubio, who I think is an extremely good. Uh, yeah. he's, he's he's been a he's been a backup point guard. He's been a starting point guard when needed. Been exceptional in Cleveland this year before he got injured. But I do, I do see those sort of similarities with Tio. I did, I, but yeah, I did, I did want Ty to be traded. Um, well, yeah, one of them's got to go. What, what? I, I, I agree. I do think one of them has to go, especially with Trey Mann on the performances he's having at the minute. But I do think Trey Mann will kind of become a a two rather than a one. I know he's entered the league in the draft when we were looking him up. He said he was a point guard, but I think he's going to be a two, especially with what he's producing at the minute. He's only averaging like one assist a game at the minute. I don't yeah, think he's a, he's much better with the ball in his hands in terms on the offensive end, not bringing the ball up the court. Yeah, he's so great, isn't he? He's something else. I love Trey, man. But no, I, I think that was a very very solid debate. I think with the tie and Tio, a lot a lot of good points were made, and it's certainly interesting. I'd, I'd be interested to see what the fan base's opinion is on that. I might I might tweet it out at some point because it is one that I reckon would divide a lot. Um, so I want to talk a bit now about SGA and the timing of his injury. Obviously, we were probably seeing the best stretch from SGA before the injury this season, and that's because he was doing what his best trait is, and that's attacking the basket, something that we spoke about in the last podcast. He hasn't done it enough this year. It looks like he's been working on other things. But while we're talking about SGA, I wanted to ask, and Brandon, we'll, we'll come to you first. 
Was the timing of SGA's injury the worst thing to happen for him in our season this year based on the way he was playing before the injury? That depends on how you want to look at things. Um, you know, if you're pro tank, you're happy to see him sideline. If you're like me and you want to see Shea develop and grow into be, you know, a superstar that he's a, going to be eventually, whether or not it's on this team, we will see. But you want him out there. You want him competing. The same thing happened last year, and it was the same time frame. It was right before the All-Star break. They did not rush him to get back in any sort of way. Um, part of that, who knows why the Thunder, you know, it, I'm pretty sure he got, he sprained his ankle. I know he left in a boot, but that was, I want to say, was that the end of January? It might've been early February. So it's been a, it's been a little bit and he's going to, you know, be sidelined through next week, obviously. And we'll see the reevaluation after all-star break, but for him and his development, yeah, it's it's terrible because other than his shot, which his percentage was, it seems to be way down, um, maybe just in terms of the three-point line this season as you know, opposed to last season. But everything else that he was doing, you know, that stuff is that's that's why he's our guy, you know. And I have to be careful with what I say now because I don't want to contradict myself here in the next segment. But no, I think for Shea, you know, I, I feel for him because he can't, it doesn't seem like he has had a season where, well, apart from the Chris Paul season, that, that was some consistency there. But in terms of being able to really show the league what he's got, you know, it's not there. He typically will get hurt or something will happen. But yeah, I think it, it's, you know, bad for him, bad for the team, bad for the future of our organization. But I mean, then you can argue since he's been out, we've won more anyways. So is that really even if you're pro tank, how does that help? So I don't know. It's just for me, I, it's messy because I still want to see how all these guys look together on a consistent basis. So when he's out, obviously you can't tell, but yeah, to answer the question in a more straightforward way, it's not definitely not good. And it's definitely probably the worst thing that could have happened to him this season. You know, where, where, where do you stand on the way he was playing? I think he was finally starting to hit the form that he displayed last season. Because I think his shooting was starting to come around. His passing was about what we expected last season. And he finally seemed to have worked out how to deal with the doubles. So, like, him... I think the best way to follow up a good stretch of games is just to keep doing it night in, night out. You keep the rhythm going. Keep playing with the momentum. And eventually that becomes your level. Like, you're not just putting in good performances anymore. That's what is expected of you. And with Shea getting injured, obviously, that puts a stop to his momentum. You go out injured, you know, he spends three to, what well, it's going to be five weeks now, isn't it? Well, roughly thereabouts. By the time he comes back, you know, that's a lot of rust he has to go and shake off. To say that's five games he takes to get rid of all that rust again. And then this process is trying to build up back to the same momentum and the same sort of rhythm that he displayed beforehand. For the Thunder, I... I'm kind of in two minds about it. I think it's good in the sense that Trey Mann's got a lot of minutes to actually develop as a professional scorer because he's getting a lot more shot attempts and he's a professional, he is a scorer and to, you know, be a good scorer, you need to be able to take shots to develop yourself and he wouldn't have got those looks 
with Shea and with Dort in the lineup. I also kind of think it's good for Josh to get a feel for being the lead playmaker or a lead ball handler and also giving coach a different look in, you know, going forward. Because, again, we come back to this debate. Is Shea a one or is he a two? You know, do you want him running your offense or you do want him playing as a combo off somebody else? And, like, it gives coach a bit of data to work with and think about what he wants to do with the team going forward. So, but the other bad side for the Thunder is that, again, like, to develop good habits among a group and develop that chemistry that, you know, will eventually pay off three, four years down the line. You need to have minutes with these guys where they're playing with each other all the time, constantly, game in, game out. If you look at, say, someone like Minnesota, right, for like the first two and a bit years of the D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns experiment, it didn't really come together all that well because they never really played with each other. When Towns got injured, Russell was in. When Russell was in, Towns got in. You know, it was just one of those things that they never were able to really develop that chemistry. And it's only sort of now they're starting to work that out. I don't think you want to be two or three years into your timeline and you're still having these issues. We need Shade to come back just so we can start working on ironing out the chemistry and working out how him and Giddy fit together. When they're playing separately, yeah, that's cool. That's great. But like at the end of the day, at the end of the game, you're going to need them two on the floor together. And you've got to work out how they fit. It's an extremely good point you make there, especially about um, chemistry as well. Because I, I do see Shy and Giddy as our one and two for the future. Dor, I'm not sure whether he's going to be a starter in the future. He's... There's still bits of the game that worry me, but we, sp- we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. But I definitely see Shy and Giddy as our backcourt, and I think it's got the potential to be an exceptional backcourt as well, which is obviously especially what what, what we all want. Um, I do think Shy is good with the ball in his hands, but I do agree that uh, Josh is better with the ball in his hands and should have the ball in his hands more, but there's not going to be any tension for me if one game Shy has the ball more or Shy's carrying the ball more than Giddy at any point but they're, they're both more than capable, not going to be angry if any of them bringing the ball up but while we're talking about Giddy we'll, we'll, we'll come on to uh, Rookie Watch for this week um, and we're going, to, we're going to talk about both Josh Giddy and Trey Man. it's going to be our last segment before we do a couple of quick ones to end it but <sighs> The, the two rookies have been absolutely outstanding. I think Wiggins, the uh, Wiggins, the hype is kind of the well, the hype around him has kind of dropped in the last couple of weeks. See, amongst the fan base and stuff, but Giddy and Trey Mann have just been extremely exciting. Giddy with his second triple double, which was unreal. Uh, Trey Mann's like the thirty point out in the other night, exceptional. I I think Trey's going to be it one of those players in the league that's just an out-and-out scorer. And I think he's going to be an exceptional scorer off the bench as well. I don't think he'll ever be a starter, not with a funder anyway, but I, I do think he's going to be an exceptional uh, scorer. Hugely impressive, both of them. Josh Giddy, soon to be four-time Rookie of the Month, and he's moved up to number three on the rookie ladder as well for the NBA. So that's got to put Josh Giddy in the Rookie of the Year conversation which I'm sure you'll both probably agree with. He's he's still got triple doubles in him and he's, his passing just continues to wow me. You're getting two or three passes a game where you're just like, wow, that's exceptional. Like, how many players do you get that in the league in terms of passing? 
it's honestly it's, it's it's great to see. And as I said about Trey Mann and his shooting, he's just he's so confident all the time, and he's just crazy. His his feet are so quick, and he so, he finds it so easy to get away from players. It's again hugely exciting, but. Janelle, I know you'll be excited about both of them. And I know Brandon has a little soft spot for Trey Mann. So we'll start off with you, Janelle, before we get Brandon's love story. So I think with Giddy, uh, his passing, as good friend of the show, Brandon Rabar had noted, in terms of like potential assists or in terms of shot quality, you know, shot quality, he was 11th in the league, tied with Jajonte Murray. Who's currently averaging nine assists for the Sun, nine point four assists for the San Antonio Spurs? Who the Thunder are playing tonight, by the way? And he's an all-star this season. So if Giddy's already at this point the tenth or eleventh best playmaker in the league at nineteen years old, imagine what he's going to be like when he's got two or three years to really read defenses and understand how defenses respond in the area. Because at the moment he's still just playing on instinct. Everything he's doing is, yeah, it's off the cuff and all this kind of stuff, but he's not had time to refine that because he's still learning as he's going along. To me, the one thing which is really surprising me is his offensive rebounding. If you look at Josh and how he sort of, the shot goes up, he doesn't just stand around, he doesn't switch off. He's constantly watching the ball and he's calculating, kind of like Russell used to do, but with Russell, like his was very much... I'm just going to watch it and I'm going to drop it over the top and just nick it off everybody. With Josh, he knows where it is. He works it out. He sort of worms his way into these positions, catches the offensive rebound, restarts possession rule, drags it back out, and he gets these second-chance opportunities for the Thunder and just puts the other team into even more misery. With Trey Mann, we talk about his shooting a lot, but to me, the one thing that's just stood out to me is just his consistency of execution. Like I watched that Knicks game back, the highlights, and every time he went to the glass against Mitchell Robinson, who is a pretty good shot blocker, he always put the ball high up on the high up on the backboard, out of Robinson's reach, made it impossible for the defense to contest. And he did that four or five times throughout the game, over all you know, over the full fifty-three minutes or whatever it was, and he just did that consistently over and over and over again. To get that level of consistency time after time is very very difficult, and yet Trey was able to do it. Uh, to me, I look at him and I see a guy who could be like a Lou Will or like a Jordan Clarkson for the Thunder. A proper top-level sixth man could be a starter, but someone who can just come in and give you 12, 16 efficient points a night without much trouble. And like that's such a valuable thing to have. In the NBA now, right, we've moved away from the big three era. We've moved away from this old idea that, oh, you need three guys and everybody else can just be Phillips. Like, no, now you actually need proper depth. And if man can bring that for, you know, bring that forward for the Thunder going, you know, over the next two to three years, I think we'll be all be very happy about that. Sure, we will. And obviously, Brandon is very happy about Trey Mann at the minute. Are we going to get a love story out of you, Brandon? Maybe not a love story. If it, if anybody has a love story for anybody, it's my love story for Josh Giddy. Look, man. This guy is incredible. He's incredible. First, the youngest player to have back-to-back triple-doubles in NBA history. Then he goes into the garden, sets a career high, I think, for, yes, yeah, 28 points, 
previously 24. He's got 12 assists, 11 boards. Do you know the other three players to have triple doubles debuting in the garden? Anybody know? Janal, you might know. I'll have a guess. So, yeah. Gary Take a shot. Payton. No. Lance Stevenson? No, all time greats. Like, we're talking all time greats. Uh, so, Jordan. He's an all time great, but no. Kobe. Uh, LeBron. No, another all time great, but no. Uh, Magic. There you go. Bird. Magic, Wilt, and Chuck Person. Chuck Person, I mean, depending on your NBA acumen might be a little outdated or whatever but dude he's in the category with some like first of all these guys are players that our kids kids will be hearing about like josh giddy that's why i'm so high on him and why i have such a hard time trying to do this thing where i want to well i'm not going to get into it because i don't want to ruin tom's take but you can see why i'm so high on the guy. Trey Mann, I think he's going to be a guy in the league that averages 20 a game. Like what Janelle was talking about, like when Lou Will was doing Lou Will stuff on a regular nightly basis, just giving you buckets, that that is exactly, I think that is a perfect comp for Trey Mann. So, I mean, I don't even know how to pick. Can we pick both of them for the week? Is that possible? Can I do both? You, you, you weren't picking anything anyway. We were just talking about them. Oh, okay. Well, I thought I had to pick a rookie. No, but dude, I'm so that's like why I'm so excited with Josh Giddy, man. He's just like um I was the first guy to scream though when we selected him as the draft. But I'll eat my words. You know, it's fine. He he's incredible. And if you yes, look sir. at like look at look at Poku and then look at Josh Giddy. It doesn't even like they're both the same age, dude. There's no you can't even put him in the same category. This dude is doing elite things he is going to be i i don't know he's the future that's my love story yeah i i do completely agree with you like the, the best thing with josh Gilly and trey man if they seemingly have come into the league with no issues at all and they're nba ready players that crazy? From, our, from from our first thoughts and what we're witnessing they're nba ready and the fact that they're also so young they're going to grow and you, you normally look at point guards as well. And point guards in their prime, they're normally like late 20s when they're in their prime. So Josh has still got 10 years before he enters his prime. Dude. So potentially we could have, I know it's early doors, we could have an all-time great. You never know. If you look it's, at this draft class as a whole, though, like it's impressive. We took, we took Wiggins, JRE, Trey Mann and Josh Giddy. And all four of them have contributed to the team this year. All of them have been mature NBA ready players. Right. Like, and then look at yeah, and then look at last year's draft class and look, we're still sending them down to the G League. Ah, uh, okay, Poku, yeah, Maladon. Thing is like last year, I think the ambition was maybe a bit different for Presti. Okay, yeah, I agree. Because I think for him, he was just about can I get for at 16 or whatever it was, whenever we took Poku, it was just like, I need a project, you know, mm-hmm. someone who has high potential who I can just take a swing on because he wasn't really going to lose anything. And then with Maladon, it was just a case of trying to get a good, solid point guard, you know, 32, wherever it was, who could potentially develop into being like a solid player, like a George Hill, 
like Pressy had done in the past, to be honest, or like the Spurs had done in the past. Something similar to that. A guy who maybe take a couple of years to develop. When he's good to go, he'll be fantastic. I think this year was just a case like so with JRE and Wiggins, it was just can we get NBA ready guys? Yeah. With man, he played in he played for FSU, I think. I can't remember what conference they're in. I think he might be the SEC, which is all was a, I think he was a gator. I think it was Florida, not Florida State. I think. Right? Uh, I think it, I feel like it's FSU. We'll check out. Let me have a look. Either way, it's in the uh or well, Florida's SEC and then I've got, oh, yeah, every, was, I've got everybody here. Giddy was Australia, Man, Florida, JRE, Villanova, Wiggins, Maryland. So that is SEC. Okay. Yeah, so like the focus this year was just to, I think, was trying to get, okay, guys who are skilled, but guys who have had experience in terms of like competition. I don't like, JRE's ceiling was not as high, obviously. Wiggins' ceiling is probably not as high. Man is like a Lou Will kind of guy, but like that kind of pick like 16 or whatever it was last year, because him and Poku were picked in roughly the same range. Poku was like trying to get an all-star, whereas Man was trying to get like a good, solid like role player. Really, like Giddy's like the biggest swing of them all at six because we had no idea how he was going to pan out. We had good thoughts because you know the NBL was a tough league, pretty, relatively comparable to the NBA. We did think he was going to be a good player, we just didn't know how good he was going to be. Like, we didn't know he was going to be like this, like in like you know, in like big block capital letters, right? You just like this. That's exactly what Giddy has been this season. You got, you got to remember as well. The last thing we'll say about rookie watch this week before we move on again: how many people were happy after the draft last year? Like immediately following the draft, how many people were happy? Not a lot. Because we didn't take he should he who shall not be named. Schengen, there I said it. Stop what it, are you going to do? What are you going to do? Who's <laughs> still still getting underused in Houston? By the way, fucking disgraceful. <laughs> but we all hate Houston anyway, but there you go. But that, that that's Rookie Watch for this week. A huge shout out to Josh and Trey Man. They've been exceptional and I, I don't see it see them not being exceptional anytime soon. So we're gonna move on to something that I already know is gonna be spicy and it's really annoying me that I can't see Brandon's camera. I know I, can't I don't see know his face because I, I want to look into his eyes as I tell him. <laughs> that you are absolutely bone idle because I just got a feeling I know what this is going to be. But this week, obviously, we're going to do Tom's take, but it's a slight tweak. You know, every now and then I give it to one of the other co-hosts to have a take. And this week, Brandon came up with one. He kind of talked about it briefly in the in the chat and it was like, no, save, save that for the pod. But over to you, Brandon. We'll want, want you to give us your take and then depending on how bad it is, I'll go first or second. And obviously myself and Janelle will tell you if you're hot, if you're hot or cold. So fire away. Okay. Let me see how I'm going to phrase this. No, cold, you know what? cold, 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 you know take, what? cold take. Josh Giddy needs to be the guy who everyone wants Shay to be. Ship, tr- ship Shay out, trade him for something, get something back for him. Josh Giddy. Okay. Question. Does Josh Giddy, yes or no, does he make players around him better? More yeah. so than Shea. Would you agree with that? The two different he makes, types of players. It depends on the players. He, he yeah. makes some players better, but I think Shea does the same thing. Like, okay, when, at, 
Keep going, sorry. Like if you look at like Dort and you look at like Muscala and you look at like guys like them, so more like catch and shoot guys, he makes them better, I think. Would you say that you've been happier when Shea and Giddy are in games together? Would you say that that their performances together are, you know, maybe so-so, but then if you take them apart and look at both of their games, are they elevated without one another is what I'm trying to figure out. That's what I'm getting at is I feel like Giddy, it can be the best version of himself without Shea. Unless you kind of do some fine-tuning and say, hey, Shea, this is what's going on, dude. You remember when Chris Paul was here? We're going to put you at the two spot, try to figure it out. Not as much ball handling. Then my thing is, is I don't want to take the ball out of Giddy's hands. I feel like we're doing a disservice to the team when we do that. Now, maybe I'm being kind of, you know, shock value saying let's trade Shea. Obviously, I don't want to trade Shea. But at the end of the day, look at what the Thunder have been doing since the injury. Four wins, a couple triple doubles. I mean, before that, we won one game in the whole month of January. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm just going to go straight out there now and say it's, it's it's a freezing cold take, and I'm so happy to say that due to the amount of them that I've had over the course of the podcast episodes. It's freezing cold, and I'm going to refer back to what Janelle was talking about earlier and chemistry. That I want them to be playing together because that chemistry needs to be built. So I believe those two are the backcourt of the future. You look at Josh Giddy, and Josh Giddy has the potential. I'm not saying he's going to, it's just the potential to be the next Russell Westbrook in OKC. Someone who's more than capable of putting up triple doubles nightly. And then that gives Shy the opportunity to be a scorer. He can get triple doubles. Like you, you look at you look at Houston a couple of years ago. It didn't quite work out for them, but look at Chris Paul and James Hard. Yeah, it was gross. Yeah but in terms of the caliber of players and the backcourt partnership they should have had. And that they, they showed at times that they can. But I, f- I feel like SGA and Giddy will surpass that and be better. Obviously, Chris, Josh Giddy and Chris Paul. Comparisons, you can kind of see some of them are there. Obviously, Josh Giddy's a lot taller, so we'll get more rebounds. And Chris Paul is a very good passer. And Josh Giddy does very well at, you know, just hop, just hopping inside the the perimeter and getting a floater up. Yeah, Chris Paul's S- Yeah, S- S- SGA and Harden are two completely different players. Harden can get to the rim. He's a lot stronger from three, whereas SGA is still working on that. But there is a possibility there. There's no way me comparing the two backcourts between the two, but I mean in terms of the calibre of players, I couldn't think of another backcourt duo like they're similar they were the first two that came to my mind. But to, to turn around and say trade Shea, I think that's way too hasty. And I, and I, I know you don't, I know you don't, you're not exactly saying that that's what you want, but I know you're saying that, like, is that a possibility? But there's there's no need to. I think if Giddy carries on the way that he does, or is, sorry, then the ball will end up in his hands more anyway. Could you imagine though? The only reason, like, so I'm thinking like, all right, so you have an asset. You know, his value is probably Shea, you know, if we were to talk about it, is at an all-time high. Imagine if Giddy just had sharpshooters around him. That's like my thing. Now, if we keep we'll keep building through the draft, we're going to do all that. It's going to take a little bit longer, which is fine. But in terms of immediate impact, I think, I think we're going to have to be patient if we want to kind of watch both of them grow and 
learn one another's game and do that sort of thing. But in my head, the way that Dallas reveres Dirk, you know, how Dirk is like a God in Dallas. That's how I feel like Giddy is going to be in Oklahoma city. Like call me in 20 years. I swear to God, this dude's going to have a statue. Maybe he'll bring us a ring. I'm telling you, I'm so high on this guy and it's not even recency bias. It's just looking at his, his line of work through, you know, we're not even it's barely halfway through the season. This dude's incredible. He probably won't even win rookie of the year because everybody hates Oklahoma city so much, but he should win rookie of the year. Now you've got anything to add or are you just going to give your verdict on the take? So Tom, you brought up your comparison earlier and then the one as you were saying, Harden and Chris Paul, the one that came to my mind was Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Mm. That was I my second like plan, but I went with the first one. They were my second duo. Is the only other two I could think of? I feel like there's a lot of analogs there between the two players. And even if you want to look at it, I'm not saying giddy. Okay, this might get aggregated. But like, if you look at how Cleveland played with LeBron and Kyrie, you know, Kyrie is a point guard. Shea's a point guard. Giddy is a point guard. LeBron is a point guard. Like you can play two point guards together in the same offense and it works. There might be times where one of them takes on a more of a road, might be times that one when the other one takes on more of a load. It's just about finding that balance and letting them play through those mistakes for that to come around. I think trading Shea now was a mistake because you've got a player locked up now for four years. Mm. Like his value is incredibly high, yeah, sure. But like this is probably his worst season in that we've seen him have in Oklahoma City. Like last year, he was fantastic. Year before that, fantastic. This season, eh, he's kind of been a bit. He's been good, but like, has he been the same sort of like all-star level player? Probably not. Like, I I don't think you can really make that argument. I also kind of think that in terms of we have to look at where the league is going rather than perhaps maybe looking at what it's been. In like over the last three or four years, yeah, we've seen that shooting has been very much the driving force and sort of the dominant force that's led most teams to winning championships. Like you look at Toronto, you look at Cleveland, you look at Golden State, you look at San Antonio in 2014 and 2013. Like although San Antonio didn't win it, their shooting was fantastic. Like it's one of those things. That's where the league has been. And we've kind of seen that teams get smaller and all this kind of stuff. But now like if you look at it now, it does kind of feel like the big man is coming back. You look at Aiton, you look at Adams in Memphis, who's having a fantastic season, completely under the radar, but he's averaging like 10 boards and four assists a game with his usual excellent play. You look at Embiid, Jokic, Valanciunas, like Vucevic. So like mm. that kind of feels like it's coming back. And plus, like I always kind of think the, the value of the three-point shooting has kind of started to diminish. That, mon- that marginal return has been chased to the point where it's no longer valuable to chase it. Like we saw Milwaukee win a championship while not shooting all that great from three. We saw the Lakers win a championship not shooting all that great from three. So, like, is it now that you need passing, you need playmaking, you need defense, so, you know, maybe you need some more interior scoring to actually get the team over the line? Because if we think about it like this, right, like three-point shooting is incredibly valuable in terms of as a scoring option, but the two best looks you can still get are inside of, at the rim and from the three-foot line. Now with Shea, he gets you looks inside and he gets you looks from the three-foot line at a startling rate. Like he's one of the best at drawing fouls in the league. That's true. 
and he hits mid-rangers. So now, if we look at what the mid-range does to a defense, right, you look at a guy like DeRozan and how he sliced the thunder up the other day, right? When you've got someone who can consistently hit from the mid-range, right, it's very difficult to guard because the modern NBA defense is built on guarding the perimeter really strong, dropping the big man back, funneling people to the middle. But if you're funneling someone who's a good shooter to the middle and they're just knocking down shots from the front and center, Defences can't really game plan for that and they don't really know what to do. It's one of the reasons, if you look in the postseason over the last three or four years, you look at Kawhi in Toronto, KD in, for Golden State, LeBron, Kyrie in Cleveland. Being able to hit mid-rangers is a big deal in the postseason. It's something you need. Giddy at the moment, he might get there, but we don't know that. With Shea, I feel more comfortable that he can do that because we've seen him do it in the past. I just think you need to keep both of them. I don't necessarily see benefit in trading one for sharpshooters you know in the idea that oh we'll get more shooting around giddy and you know we'll mobilize that aspect of him i still like the idea of having multiple playmakers on the team i feel like that's the route to success so what's your verdict you know i like that answer i don't like running the stake to be honest i it feels like freezing cold he's like he's not like He's not like quite like freezer cold. He's like fridge cold. <laughs> like it's kind of a cold take. I can kind of see where he's coming from with it. It kind of makes sense to me. It's just not how I like to build a team. Like it's just semantics, really. No, it's you're okay. stupid. You're stupid, Brandon. These are just ideas. This is just a podcast. Not nothing is set in stone. Don't worry. Although there's no way sense. there. To, if we're, I mean, there's no way the Thunder tread Shay. I mean, let's just be real. So, like we, we we trade shy, we go back two years. Unless we get like a huge ready-made superstar in return, we go back two years. So it's it's right. it's, it's just completely pointless. But it's it's, mean, it's it got plenty of discussion out of us, so it's 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 a good take to have. Something worth thinking about. If you read the Hollinger article the other day about Ben Simmons and if Brooklyn aren't happy with him, they are going to tear it down. If the Thunder use end up with say sixth pick or seventh pick again, if you give a first for Ben and Dort, then Ben Simmons then ends up playing in probably the le- in the lowest pressure market in the league. There's no I media think. attention on him. He's in a market where he can be happy and yes, okay. For my jammer to come and fly and see him come fly and then see him in Oklahoma City is a bit tricky. But you know, that's kind of by the by. Like you put him in a market where he's comfortable. He's got a fellow Aussie next to him. He'll mm-hmm. be given opportunities. He can play his natural position, which is a four. I don't think he's a point guard. I don't think he's a five. He is a four. Say you give up Dort for Ben Simmons, right? Then you're looking at Shea, Giddy, Simmons. You know, say you put your big man in there. So that's JRE. And then you put like Trey Mann or like Andrew, w- or, you know, Aaron Wiggins in the starting five. Like, to me, that kind of makes sense. I don't know. I quite like the idea of that trade. If the Thunder are looking at strengthening, like I feel like Lou Dort would probably be the ideal one to trade because he's on a sweetheart deal right now, but the next season his contract runs out and he's got to want $16, $17 million. Is that really something that Thunder wants to take on in terms of spending obligation? How much better do we think Dort is going to get? I'd rather Sorry. keep Dort. Yeah, sorry, I was yawning. I'm I'm not too arsed about trading Dort or keeping Dort. The defensive where whereabouts is there, but if we're getting someone like Ben Simmons in return, where his defensive game is good, then I have no complaints there. 
But no, good, good, good take that, Brandon. It's uh, certainly got us talking and in depth about it. So now it's our favourite time of the week, time for me and Brandon to go head to head in this week's <laughs> fundamental trivia, which I did own up before we started recording it. Like my funder knowledge, if it's like pre 2016, it's just average, not above average. It's not non-existent, but it's pretty much clueless for me. And Brandon, obviously being from Oklahoma, should know everything, but somehow hasn't won yet. Dun, dun, but, dun. <laughs> so Janelle, over to you, sir. You are this week's Chris Tarrant, who's a host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire for our American listeners. Uh, not anymore. It's now Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> but... the, the original. Who? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so given the fact it's going to be All-Star game this weekend, how many Thunder players have been selected to the All-Star game? This is from 2008 to oh. current year that we are in, so 2022. Oh, wait. How many Thunder players or players that have played for the Thunder? No, how many Thunder players? Okay. So okay. they've had to be selected when they were a member of the Thunder. Okay, I'm looking at one because I have it oh. hanging on my wall. So that's one. I'm going to go six. Two... I'm going four. It's more than four. Mr. Really? Dale, you get the point. It Woo! is four. What? Paul, it's George, four. Chris Paul, Westbrook, and Durant? Yes, exactly. Oh, let's go. Let's go. He gets the point. Look at Tom. One nil to Brendan Dale. Tom, oh. who are your other two? I went. I went for some reason fucking James Harden. <laughs> yes, I was, Think, I was thinking thinking to twenty twelve he was gone. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, and then Wait. and then I was like, oh throw throw a curveball in there just in case. Obviously his defensive work was elite, and I was thinking like a prime Sergio backer. Just just oh, if yeah. he might just if he might have crept into one of them, but mm, I love this game. <laughs> so in terms of single game scoring, who has scored the most points? in a single game by a Thunder player? I feel like the answer. So, in a single game for the Thunder, who has scored the most points for one single player? I feel like he wants it to be an obvious answer, but I don't know if it's obvious. Paul George. That's what I was going to go with. Damn it. Um, Westbrook. It has to be Westbrook, yeah. right? Russell Westbrook. He's My point. 58. My point. I should have jumped no. out on that. It's Russell Westbrook. He scored 58 in 2017 against Portland. Damn it. My point. One all. Okay, so Brandon, uh. might, so Brandon might find this. Okay, so we've actually got like a tense um, finish here. We have a sprint finish. Who was the Thunder's first head coach? The first head coach was PJ oh, Carlissimo. I always forget his name. See, he's, he's a it's a weird last name. I haven't heard that last name anywhere else around the world, so I never would have got that. So this week, I know he was only in charge for like half his season as well. Before yeah, Scott Brooks got came sacked. in. Yeah. So winning two to one is Brandon Dale. So congratulations, Brandon. You Woo! are the winner. I it's, about, it. it's about the time someone from Oklahoma who's followed the team since the team moved <laughs> to the city actually wins some basic knowledge. 
so proud of myself. Well, well done, oh. Brandon. I hope you're happy. Keep Thank the money. You. Yeah, I'll be. I'll accept uh, traveler's check, visa, Bitcoin, <laughs> whatever you got. <laughs> Thank you, Janelle, for your questions. And that's a fun way to end this week's episode of fundamentals brandon janelle thank you for joining me as always it's been an absolute pleasure to get some takes and to discuss how the funder have been doing the last couple of weeks hopefully we'll be back again next week we apologize that we haven't been around the last couple of weeks but life has been manic as i'm sure most people can understand but hopefully we'll be back next week and as always thunder up thunder up, thunder up.